Now, I have been taught in life to not work in absolutes, okay? I've been told that using words like never, everyone, always, usually is not fair. Uh, For instance, if my wife were to say that I never clean the house, that is an unfair statement. If she says that I, ne- that I rarely clean the house, then it becomes a fair statement. See? So, absolutes, not so much. We have, to, we have to give the proper room there. So, never, not okay. Rarely, okay. But I would argue, using an absolute this morning, I would argue that everyone loves a comeback. Everyone loves a comeback. I don't know, any, I don't know anybody in life who says, you know what I really hate? Comebacks. Those are awful. Few things are better than seeing someone who has been down on their luck at the very bottom of everything uh, that they are trying to accomplish, pull a complete 180, and come out victorious and on top of their battle. Now, sports love that so much that they even have Comeback Player of the Year awards. The NFL has one every year, and Major League Baseball has one. The NBA used to have one. They stopped it in the 80s. The ESPYs, which are like the Oscars for sports, they have an award for the Comeback Player of the Year. Everybody loves a comeback. If you don't, you can talk to me about it later, uh, but I'll just tell you that you're wrong. Now, Jesus, Jesus was the comeback player of all time. He was the comeback player of all time because Jesus returned from the dead to bring ultimate victory through the resurrection. There's not a greater comeback in all of history than that. And so that's what we are looking at this morning. We're going to be in John chapter 20. Turn there in your Bible or follow along on the screen or use the Bible app. We do have a live event going currently. So in John 21 through 10, this is what we're told. It said, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over. He looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now the resurrection is of the utmost importance to Christianity. The resurrection solidifies and guarantees everything that Scripture states about Jesus before it takes place. Without the resurrection, Christianity is null and void. Okay, it's null and void. It's it's good ideology, but it's not a must. It's not something that we have to do. It's just something we can look at and say, "Mm, there's some good ideas here and there. Now, Paul the Apostle, not the huffed, bad joke, I know. Paul the Apostle declared in 1 Corinthians 15, 17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Without the resurrection, then no other claim in the history of the Bible is trustworthy. Jesus' sacrifice would not have paid for our sins. Jesus would not have been the Son of God. And whosoever believed would have perished. The resurrection seals our faith. And in no way whatsoever am I belittling it as an action. Okay? 
Jesus raised himself from the dead exactly like he said he would do in John 2.19 where he said that if you destroy this temple in three days, I will raise it up. And in doing so, he overcame the sin of all mankind. That is a powerful and wonderful thing. Because Jesus beat death, we too get to beat death at the end of the day. And all we have to do is believe in Jesus. All we have to do is say that you are the Son of God, I believe who you say you are, and we receive that blessing. So I'm not making light of it, okay? I'm not meaning to pass it over because, honestly, the resurrection never quite gets the love that it deserves. Everybody focuses on the death on a cross, and rightfully so, because it was a powerful thing. It was an emotional thing. Jesus gave of himself for us. But the resurrection is what makes that death on a cross as important as it was. So we're going to look at some other things today, and I'm not making little of it. I'm not just meaning to pass it over. Um, But what Jesus did, what Jesus did after he resurrected, what Jesus did after he conquered death, tells us so much about the man. And as we're studying in our series, this is the last Sunday, but as we're looking at Jesus, who's he? Who is this Jesus? I think it's important to look at what happened after he was raised from the dead. So we're going to continue in John chapter 20 today. We're going to look at that. We're going to talk about it. We're going to dive into it. And I saw some things in this chapter that I haven't really looked at before, if I'm being honest. I haven't really seen things from this angle before, and it kind of woke me up this week, and it excited me because it let me in on some things that I kind of knew about Jesus, but his actions here just solidified it for me. So continuing in John chapter 20, verses 11 through 18, it said, Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, they said, Woman, why are you crying? She said, They have taken my Lord away, and I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there, but she did not yet realize that it was him. See, they just couldn't grasp quite that Jesus was going to be resurrected. There was a lot of hurt at this time because this wasn't what they thought the Messiah would be. We've talked about that in the past. They were thinking more like white knight on white horse coming to conquer all those that were mean to them. But Jesus had something else in mind, so they weren't quite ready to grasp that he would be again. And so she sees him, but she doesn't recognize that as Jesus. And again, he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Thinking that he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary, I want you guys to hear this. He looks at her and he says to her, Mary, she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Now can we just wrap our heads around what just happened? Jesus just resurrected from the dead. At this point, cue my, I told you so to her. Like if I was Jesus, you, you take Jesus out, you put Paul in. I resurrect myself after saying that I would, after everybody was like, oh, I'm going to kill you, right? People hate me for all the things I'm saying. I resurrect, oh, I'm talking trumpets and dancing. It would have been like the scene from Aladdin where the genie comes in, you know, and like Aladdin's riding on the elephant. I would be like, I told you so, look at me. 
right? I would have been that guy. I really would have been. And for Jesus to be that guy, like, I would not have blamed him. I don't think that anybody could have seen Jesus and said, yeah, no, this is a bit overboard, Jesus. No, Jesus just raised himself from the dead. And yet he stops everything, and he sees somebody that he dearly loves completely distraught, and he takes the time to go to her. Now, allow me, if I may, to take a little liberty here. I'm just kind of guessing at exactly what took place because there are some things we don't know, so I'm trying to fill in the blanks, but, but let's just look at this. One thing that we don't have to guess at because Scripture tells us is that Mary Magdalene was distraught. She was absolutely distraught. She was weeping. She was upset. I can imagine feeling nauseous. Someone had taken her Jesus from her. She had come to visit him just the, the three days, four days after, three days after, after what had taken place. And she's, she's coming to see this Jesus that she loved. And he was gone. She was absolutely distraught. And, and she was left alone by herself. She told the other disciples, he's not here. And the two, they ran, they looked, and then they got out of there. Well, I don't do now. So they just left her being. Well, I imagine that she is just completely beside herself. Now, what we do also know is that she was close to Jesus. She loved Jesus dearly. She was at the cross. She sat through his entire crucifixion. She was there. And in fact, I would say that Jesus loved her as well. He shows it through his actions here, but Jesus loved her as well. They were friends. That much I know. But I do know that their relationship has been so completely dissected and looked at that some people outside of the church, wrongly might I add, but will say that she was actually Jesus' wife. Again, that's not the case. But they were so close that people saw the love between them, and that was kind of the reaction that some got from it. Jesus went out of his way to appear to Mary and to console her. We talked about in the past how Jesus is fully man, Jesus is fully God. He's 100% God here. He's doing God stuff. He just appears. And her complete devastation and her being distraught, and her being broken, and her just weeping, and her just wanting to find him. He saw that, and he came to her. After his resurrection, Jesus was extremely compassionate. He was extremely compassionate. He went above and beyond. He didn't have to come see Mary, but he saw her heartache, he heard her pain, and he made sure that he was present with her. Now, here's the thing. We know that after Jesus ascended, he left the Holy Spirit behind. There are times in life when we find ourselves in complete devastation. When we say, I don't know how I'm moving forward. When we find ourselves weeping, where we find ourselves completely distraught, where we find ourselves feeling alone. And it's in those times that if we allow ourselves Jesus sends his spirit to be with us because he loves us, because he's compassionate, because he takes time out of all the other things that he could be doing to say, you are loved and I'm here with you. He did that for Mary and that was an amazing thing. I found that to be 
pretty awesome. After his resurrection, Jesus was also extremely forgiving. Continuing in verse 19, it says, On the evening of the first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for the fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and he stood among them and he said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed him his hands and his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Let's just think about this. The disciples are holed up in a room. Jesus had been murdered. Everything they thought was going to happen did not happen. And they are scared. They are scared. The religious leaders just killed Jesus. They're coming after his followers. So they locked themselves in a, up in a room. Locked door. No one's getting in. No one's going out. We're in hiding. And Jesus appears. Again, God stuff. He just appears in the room. That's what Scripture says. He just appears. And the first thing he says is, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Remember the fear that they had to be feeling in this instance. And the first thing that Jesus does is say, hey, relax. I'm, I'm here on good terms. I'm not here to harm you. I'm not here to take you in. I'm not here to, to, to bring you down. Peace be with you. And then they all realized who it was. Once he shows them his hand side, it's Jesus. It's Jesus, and they're excited. But Jesus says something I find really interesting here. Again, he says, peace be with you. Now just put yourself in their shoes. Think about what you would do if you're in that situation. Here's Jesus. You just turned your back on him. Everything he ever taught you, you put by the wayside. You've locked yourself in a room, and you said, I'm not going anywhere. Instead of bringing life to others, they were more concerned with staying alive. Even after Jesus had told them, hey, if you want to follow me, you must lay down your life. Peter. Peter had denied Jesus three times. Just like Jesus said he would. Peter swore he wouldn't, but he had denied Jesus three times. These are the disciples who have let Jesus down. Can you imagine the angst that they felt? First excited, like, it's Jesus! And then, oh, it's Jesus. Like, uh-oh, uh-oh. Peter's just thinking, man, what's he going to say to me? What's he going to say to me? I denied him three times. He said I would. I told him I wouldn't, and then I did. What's he going to say to me? And the next words out of Jesus' mouth are, peace be with you. Peace be with you. That's pretty awesome. That's pretty awesome. Jesus had every right to have anger towards these individuals. He had every right to look at them and say, you let me down. Instead, he said, peace be with you. And then he set them on a mission. And that's what he does with us. Time after time, we let Jesus down. We go to Jesus, we find ourselves in Jesus' presence, and you know what Jesus says? Hey, peace be with you. You have done this, now I want you to go do this. And he's given us all leeway to forgive ourselves because he himself has forgiven us. Just after his resurrection, just after his moment of glory, he knows the disciples are in distress and he comes and he forgives them and allows them to move on. And that's what he does for each and every one of us. 
How comforting it must have been. The thing is, it shouldn't have been a shock. It shouldn't have surprised them. Not only did he forgive them, but he reminded them, hey man, hey guys, we're still good. Like, we are okay. Peace be with you. Now let's move forward. And Jesus did that because after his resurrection, he was extremely reassuring. He was extremely reassuring. 24 through 29, John chapter 20. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, hey, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and I put my finger where the nails were and I put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. And then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Here's the thing. There's always one. There's always one. Like in the disciples, there was always going to be one who was like, nah, I don't think so. Like, I've got to see it to believe it. We, we have that in life all the time. And I think that if we're honest, a lot of us can relate to Thomas. Like, unless I see this, there's not a chance in the world that I'm going to believe that that's what took place. Jesus isn't above reminding us of who he is. That's exactly what he did for Thomas. We all have times in our walk with Christ where we have doubts. We all have times in our walks with Christ where we feel like this isn't what God had intended. We all have times in our walks in life where we think, maybe I'm not saved. Right? Maybe I'm not saved. Maybe Jesus isn't who he said he was to me. Maybe, maybe I don't have that relationship. Maybe this just, this, just, this just isn't what it's supposed to be. Thomas was in one of those times in his life where he said, I saw them crucify Jesus. I know that they laid his body in a tomb. You're telling me that he's alive and you know what? I'm just not going to believe. Unless I see it with my own two eyes, I am not going to believe what God has said is so, my friends have said is so, what Jesus has proven to be so, it's just not going to happen. And Jesus stepped out to Thomas and he said, Thomas, look, I'm real. Look, I'm real. Now there's a blessing for those of us who can step out in faith and, and look at God and look at Jesus and say, I believe. No matter what, I believe. Going forward, I believe. There's a blessing there. But for those of us who don't quite have that faith, who don't quite have that strength, Jesus is not above coming into our lives and saying, remember who I am. You have a purpose. This is what I desire for you. Don't ever forget that I am still here. You may feel like I've gone away. You may feel like I'm out of touch. You may feel like I'm completely gone, but just know, just know that I am here. 
And that's what Jesus wants us all to understand, that we are loved, that he is here, that we are forgiven. And he took time directly after he conquered death, directly after the crowning achievement of his ministry, to see people who were hurting and to go to them and say, you are loved, I care, it's okay, let's move forward. I think we can all use that. I think we can all use that at times in life. Just know that if you allow yourself, if you allow yourself to look for Jesus in those moments where you feel like there's no way he's there, when you feel all alone, he will show up. I've never been so confident about a statement in my entire life that if you look for Jesus, you truly look for Jesus in the times where you feel like he's not there. He will be there for you. He will show himself to you. And he will remind you that you are loved. And that's the Jesus we serve. That's who he is. He came to this earth. He gave of his life. He conquered death. And he wants you to know that you are loved. That's who he is. And that's who we need to be sharing with people about. That's who our God is. That's a wonderful and powerful thing. Let's pray. God, I come to you right now. I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you sent your son. I thank you that your son willingly came. I thank you that not only did he die on a cross to sacrifice himself for our sins, a perfect lamb for all of us disgusting creatures, but even in taking the sin of the entire world, God, he conquered that. Three days later, he rose. And even after his crowning achievement, even after the greatest miracle that the world had ever seen, he saw pain and he saw hurt. And he stopped the process just for a moment to bring peace to those people to remind them that they are loved, to remind them that He is there, to remind them that everything is going to be okay. Help us to be people who reflect that character of Christ, who don't get too busy to see others in their distress and in their pain and in their suffering and say, I'm not going to do anything about it. Rather, God, give us the compassion, give us the courage, give us the drive to look out, see hurt, and to go. And to say, you are loved. And I am here. And everything is going to be okay. Help Crosspoint to be a church that reflects the character of Christ. At the end of the day, that's the only goal that we should have our hearts set on. Help us all to be like you. We ask all these things in your son's name. Amen.